What is going on, everybody? I hope you're all having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast, and this is the fifth episode of Season 2. I am so excited for today. This is a day I've been waiting for a long time. Um, The premise of today's episode is simply just 10 questions, but we have a very, very special guest today. He is the host of the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. He has over 8,300 followers on Twitter. He owns a Patreon with over 460 loyal subscribers and has the best, in my opinion, Twitter threats that I've ever seen in the business of Twitter. He is Drew Ozenchuk. What's going on, Drew? Not much. Thanks for having me, man. That's quite the intro. <laughs> hey, I mean, you gotta, you gotta have a good intro for the good ones, especially. Now, everyone gets a good intro, um, especially for someone like you that has so much going on, and I think is definitely underrated because you don't see you on ESPN or those some of those <laughs> websites. But, but you, I mean, you do as well as as some of these guys with all the people that you have on Patreon. So, I mean, that leads right into my first question. I mean, how did you get started in this fantasy field and? How did you come up with this whole process that you've been able to put up over the last couple of years? So how I got started is is kind of an accident. It wasn't like I had planned to be a fantasy analyst. It, it was not even on my radar, to be perfectly honest. I was a loyal subscriber to Player Profiler back when uh, Matt Kelly did the concierge service. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've like pre-Patreon. It's basically like Patreon, but before that. Yeah. And uh it was the 2017 draft, and Evan Ingram had just run a blazing 4-4-140. He was more athletic than, you know, Cal Pitts, for instance. Yeah. And I was like, hey, man, like, what is, like, we're, you know, this conversation is going with Cal Pitts right now, where everybody's like, well, what would he look like as a wide receiver? I was like, well, what, <laughs> man, what would, what would Evan Ingram look like if he was a wide receiver? <laughs> this was in 2017. Yeah. And it was like, you should have, because I was like, again, I was not trying to be an analyst. I, I didn't, I've never written anything in my life to that point. I certainly didn't feel like I was qualified to be a fantasy analyst. I was still, I think I was maybe two or three years into like playing dynasty fantasy football. Wow. At that point. And I was like, hey, Matt, like, what would this look like? You should have one of your writers do an article on this. I think it'd be a cool, cool topic. It's very popular, you know, narrative out there right now, like, would Evan Ingram be the wide receiver two in this class behind Corey Davis? That was the conversation. I remember distinctly that conversation going on. And now here we are in 2021. And the conversation is would Cal Pitts be the wide receiver two in the 2021 class? That's amazing. So anyways, full circle. Uh, Matt Kelly replied, Hey man, if you want, if you want, if you'll commit to doing an article, I'll run the numbers for you. And I was like, Oh, uh, I don't really know how, but I, I could try. So I tried. It took me like months to write this article. Yeah. It was hilariously bad. <laughs> <laughs> he promptly tore it to shreds on the very next podcast, just ripped it apart. And I was like, well, I guess that was the end of my career. <laughs> and then the next year he emailed me or I was on there. He has like a email or um, what do you call it? Like a, like a yeah, I guess an email group that yeah. he emails all the writers. He's like, hey, would anybody like to write an article on this? Or this or this. And I was suddenly on it the next year. And I was like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. I guess maybe I wasn't that bad. Because yeah. Evan Ingram did go on to set like records basically as a fantasy rookie tight end. So that was pretty great. But yeah. uh, early feather in the cap. But uh, like honestly, from there it was just like, okay, I'll do some mock draft articles. And then I started doing some research on some other stuff and started playing around with like trying to figure out which prospects were actually good. And then in the 2019 class, I um, I was doing a thread on Kyler Murray, the first thread I'd ever done on a player. I, I, I'm like, I had like 150 followers, maybe. 
I like I had no followers, <laughs> and I did this thread on Kyler Murray, and I got through it, and like just like off the cuff, I was like, man, like this guy doesn't have any holes in his profile. He's friggin' bulletproof. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. I'm gonna call him bulletproof. a bulletproof prospect. I love. And then that. I went back to the first one and edited it to bulletproof, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. That's amazing. And that's kind of funny because like I don't like I'm not like a like I'm not like pro guns. I'm actually anti guns. Yeah. I have this whole like premise around bulletproof and like my logo has like a bullet in it. I'm like, oh, I don't really like that. <laughs> so, anyways, no, that's, that's an entirely that. different topic, but it's it's you know it's interesting. It's what it is. It's crazy how things come full circle like that, and it's so cool. Just like an interaction with him, just as a fan, and then you turn into everything that you have going today. I think that's so cool. What did what did you do in your your previous career? I mean, you look like a very young guy. So what did you do before fantasy started to become like a, a passion of yours? Uh, I'm a, I'm an accountant. I'm a CPA. So the DF bean counter Twitter handle is because I am actually a bean counter. I am an accountant. That's crazy. So you're, you're still an accountant by day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. And you're like bat, Batman on Twitter at, by, at, by night. That is crazy. Pretty, pretty fighting, much, yeah. fighting crime with the people that aren't doing their research. I love that. I joke a lot about how I, I like work during the day and then I come home. And then after my kids and my wife go to bed at nine o'clock, I work again until like midnight or one. And then I go to bed and that's start crazy. all over again. But you enjoy what you do? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. Hey, that's all that matters. Well, let's jump right in. I, One of the guys that, again, like we're talking about with Kyle Pitts, the guy that's supposed to go right next to him in the draft, is Jamar Chase. I know I know you like Jamar Chase. I mean, it's how could you not like Jamar Chase? But what do you think this guy's ceiling is and like what teams do you think that he would probably benefit the most by getting drafted on, even though he's probably going to go in the top five or six picks for sure? Yeah. So for me, the, like the Jamar Chase profile is basically perfect. Like there, there's really nothing that we look at and we're like, Oh, I wish that would have been different other than he, he opted out this year. Yep. Like we're going to make some exceptions for global pandemics. Yep. in the bulletproof process i'm sorry <laughs> it's just gonna have to happen disappointment unprecedented <laughs> so like the, the one downfall is he didn't play this year but after what he did last year it is basically impossible in my mind that he wouldn't have hit my thresholds my thresholds aren't high so it's really not that hard to hit and like there's just no way that he wouldn't have hit it this year i, I can't imagine a world in which he doesn't hit my thresholds this year so anyway, his prospect profile is basically perfect. He's a 21-year-old rookie. He's an early declare. He dominated, well, we're assuming two out of his three seasons. Broke out at 19, had a 30% dominator at 19, which is what you want. Like the, There's like the age, sorry, there's the 20% breakout and the 30% breakout. He hit them both by 19, which is what you want. And then we're, what really sets him apart in my opinion, is his draft capital. Like, we don't see very many wide receivers get drafted top five. And he's actually maybe not going to get drafted top five. But we also never see four quarterbacks go in the first four picks, which is probably what's going to happen. So what I suspect is going to – or how I'm kind of treating it as he's a top five non-quarterback pick. Like, he's that good. He's he's a top two probably non-quarterback pick. So he, he qualifies for my normal standard of top five picks. And then beyond that, I have this other one where it's like the bulletproof profile and the first round capital. And then you filter for absolutely absurd athleticism, which is what he has. He broke relative athletic score. He's an absolute freak. And athleticism at the wide receiver position does not matter across the board. 
Like I will, I will go to great lengths to disprove wide receiver athleticism matters. But in this one instance <laughs> where we, we have like the perfect prospects and then we have the elite athleticism on top, we see over like the last 20 years, those guys are a little different. They're a little bit more special than the rest. And for me, like, that's really what it comes down to. I understand that it's not good process from a statistical standpoint, but it's logical when you can fill like just throw in the filter and look at the players left. And you're like, well, I mean, come on players that he cops to in the trans. So I have a transcendent tier and a generational tier. They're not like generational and like the normal sense of generational, like yeah. once every decade or whatever. Yeah. They're right. just like super prospects. Is basically what they are yep. and i need a name for the tier because i named all my tiers to piss everyone off yeah so uh <laughs> you know but like the guys he comps to if he goes in the top five his comps are or in like the transcendent tier which is going to be you know a little bit uh a little bit different than the top five this year yep. but it's andre johnson braylon edwards calvin johnson aj green and julio jones wow. like those guys are like multi-year top five wide receivers like virtually top 12 receivers every single year that they play they're like guaranteed right like and, and and that's the whole list that's not just the hits that's the entire list there are no misses on the list even Braylon Edwards who is clearly the worst of them all still had a top five season so it's crazy and then if he doesn't go in the top five let's say he falls to the teens it's a mid like he's a first round pick not top five yeah. then we're talking about Odell Beckham Jr. DJ Moore Brandon Cooks Justin Jefferson and Des Bryant this is another group of players that doesn't miss. So yeah. from from my perspective, Jamar Chase has like a locked-in elite ceiling, which is super rare. Like his floor is elite, which is crazy. Yeah, like you said, his floor is like being a top five wide receiver only only one time. I mean, that, that that's it. I mean, that's that's not that great, just one time. I mean, it's, it's absurd, and I, I love that. And I think the, the thing that is madness sometimes is like when you look at the comments in some of your threads and people are like, Oh, well, just because these guys fit in doesn't mean, but like, like you're literally showing, I mean, when you put all the filters in, I mean, these are the guys that come out at the end of the day, no matter how you look at it. And I think it's crazy because like you said, I mean, like how else are you going to figure that out? I mean, it's the most logical way that you can find the best way to look at these players. So I, I love that. And I think that's just crazy that someone like Jamar Chase is coming on and his ceiling is elite. His ceiling is only, only one top five season rather than four or five. So that's, yeah. that's pretty crazy. Another guy leading in off of Jamar Chase, like we already talked about a little bit, is Kyle Pitts. Does Kyle Pitts have that same type of ceiling or locked-in elite ceiling that Jamar Chase has? You know, I don't know that he does, and it's not because I think he's a bad prospect. I actually think – so, like, if I look at strictly prospect profile of Jamar Chase, he's the best prospect since Calvin Jones – or Calvin Johnson. Wow. He's better prospect than Julio Jones. He's a better prospect than A.J. Green. Better prospect than Andre Johnson. Like, just, just based on math, right? Like, not yeah. based on anything else, not yeah. based on film or anything like looking at draft position and, and production and all that stuff. Like, he's the best prospect since Calvin Johnson. When I do that with Kyle Pitts, he's the best prospect since Kellen Winslow in 2004. So, like, he's also an incredible prospect. Yeah. The problem is I don't have a long list of those guys that have been successful. Okay. So the floor on, on Kyle Pitts is a lot lower than the floor on Jamar Chase, in my opinion. If, like, if Jamar Chase misses, I still feel like he's a wide receiver too in fantasy, which is like fine. We still value those guys. If Kyle Pitts misses, he's not in the Travis Kelsey tier, and he doesn't matter, yeah. which is a big problem. Like there, There's just such a gap between Travis Kelsey tier and everyone else that if he doesn't absolutely crush his ceiling – 
it just is a wasted pick in fantasy, and that sucks. Yep, absolutely. So I have three players that I consider absolute box smashers at the tight end position. It's Kyle Pitts, it's Kellen Winslow in 2004, and it's Noah Fant in 2019. Wow. And Noah Fant is actually, in my opinion, a little bit better prospect than Kyle Pitts. He's more athletic. He's better. Like, yeah. The problem is the film people tell me that Kyle Pitts is better. Like, they're like, he's smooth. He looks like a wide receiver. The same stuff I was told about Evan Ingram back in 2017, which is why I'm kind of, like, hesitant on this one because I was like, oh, yeah, like, give me the Evan Ingram. And I remember distinctly the conversations. Well, if he was a wide receiver, where would he rank? If he was this, what would happen? And it's just like, it's just too eerie. (laughs) But that being said, like, Kyle Pitts is a way better prospect than Evan Ingram. In my eyes, he's way bigger. He's more equally athletic. Maybe not well, – he's probably actually more athletic if I had to look up the numbers. I bet he is more athletic because he, he's bigger, right? He's a similar athlete but yeah. much larger. So, yeah. But there's those three. And until Kyle Pitts and Noah Fan hit, I don't really feel comfortable saying, yes, this is a locked-in elite ceiling or elite floor for Kyle Pitts. I just – there's too many other guys that have looked really, really good that haven't panned out. Whereas with Jamar Chase, there's no one. Everyone that looked really, really good panned out. Okay. I like that. So, that's, that's, yeah. That's a great answer. And I think that, I mean, like, no matter who it is, I mean, you could say, oh, well, I'm, I need a tight end, so let me grab Kyle Pitts. But when you have a guy that has a locked-in elite ceiling, I don't get how you don't take Jamar Chase over over Kyle Pitts in, in a dynasty type of league. I like that a lot. And like you said, I mean, just because – Kyle Pitts says in a quote that he he wants to be the best player ever. That doesn't I don't think that adds more value. Like some people seem to believe out there, oddly enough. Another thing I, that's go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say I think there's you know like show me an NFL player that doesn't think they're the best NFL player or mm-hmm. the best football player. Like they they all do. Yeah. You know like I, I and like you know there's all these narratives. I'm gonna go tangent here for a second. There's all these narratives about like. You know, well, he, he, like he's the first guy in, the first guy out. Like, like everybody on the team can't be the first guy in and the last guy out. You know, like <laughs> it's impossible. Like just logically, yeah. that doesn't work. Yeah. So, and, and it, they say it about every player. Like, God, yeah. it, it can't work like that. Like everybody is really good. Everybody works really hard. I mean, not everybody, but most of the players, I would say, work really hard. You don't get to the NFL without some level of work ethic. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, uh, it, it plays to your point in the sense that, like, you're in the NFL because you have the confidence to think that you can compete with these guys. You don't make the NFL by then. well, like, I mean, you know, there, there's some better players above me. You don't make the NFL like that. Every guy should be the guy that's the best. Every guy is working harder than everyone else. That's why they make it. That's why yeah. in August, every single player in fantasy gets a thing, well, oh, this guy worked really hard with his trainer. This guy added 10 pounds of muscle. But you get that for every guy. And the guys yeah. that people go the most crazy about are the ones that are already getting the hype. And then they just get the training camp report that every other guy gets. I mean, it's it, it's crazy. But again, I mean, even as a fantasy fan myself, I play into it just because Miles Sanders was getting training camp hype from Deuce Staley. I was starting to buy into that last year. I mean, that's just <laughs> how it goes. And you can't help but getting excited. It's like when the movie comes on and Avengers Endgame is playing, you're going to get hyped about it no matter what. Again, I digress. <laughs> but again, another question that is probably, I mean, I would say one of the most heavily debated topics on on fantasy Twitter in terms of running backs. Maybe heavily debated, not depending on who you ask. Who do you think is the dynasty RB one between Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, or or maybe even uh, Kenneth Gainwell or something like that? Who 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 is the dynasty um, running back one for you? It's it's Travis Etienne, and 
Oh, I will. Uh... A disclaimer, I don't love any running back in this class. Okay. I think Travis Etienne is is probably going to grade out as a bulletproof prospect for me. But he's really? going to be one of the guys I don't really like that much that grades okay. out as a bulletproof prospect. And it's not, it's not that I think he's bad. I just think he's like a notch below last year's bulletproof prospects. Okay. It's uh, like if he was in 2019, he's easily the hands down running back one in 2019. He's, in my opinion, easily the hands down running back one in 2021. But in 2020, he'd have been the running back five. Like wow. He'd have been behind JT and Swift and Akers and Dobbins, and then there would have been ETN. So, like, like within the context of history, I don't think he's a great prospect. Within the context, I think he's a very good prospect. Don't get me wrong. Like he's, he's a really good player. Of course. But I don't think he's, like, the guy I'm rushing out to best-case scenario on, like maybe I was last year on a few of the running backs, is perhaps the way to put it. And then, like, the other guys, they're just – they're fine. They're up Clyde Edwards. They are literally Clyde Edwards hilarious to me. They're like, yeah, I like. They're they're okay. They're fine. Yep. Absolutely. Not not Gainwell though. Not Gainwell. No, he's I know. I, I that just completely a joke. I know he's not near that conversation. <laughs> Could he be a solid player? Absolutely, but he's not near where where those guys are. Obviously, but the thing that I mean, I love that you say Travis Etienne. I'm probably one of the the people that's on your side with this, and I don't think it, it goes unnoticed. Of course, that Najee Harris is a good prospect. I don't think anyone's doubting that, but. You know Ronald Jones, obviously. Ronald Jones is seven months older than Najee Harris, and he's going into his fourth year in the NFL, and there's a seventh-month difference, man. It's like the same thing with Devontae uh, Smith. Like He's playing against guys that are so much younger. And like we, again, we could talk about breakout age and, and all of that all day, but it's, it's crazy how much that just because these guys are really men amongst boys in age that they get so much extra hype. Another thing that I want to ask, especially for someone with a, a process like yours, is is there any one prospect in particular right now that's coming into the draft this year that sticks out to you and that you feel like you're higher on than most anyone? That like this is the guy that like, come on, like this is my guy. Yeah, the, the guy for me is Seth Williams, but I'm afraid okay. he's not going to get the draft capital. I just looked him up and grinding the mocks earlier today, and he's he's fallen to like 139 as his expected draft position, oh, wow. which means he's not going to get drafted high enough that I'm going to care about. He's going to be Gabriel Davis, and I'm I'm over it already. So I'm going to give you a different one that we can actually draft. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, it's going to be for me. It's probably going to be Almond Raw. I feel like he's not getting Almond Raw St. Brown. I feel like he's not getting much Ooh. hype, but. It's strange because his ADP is still like fairly strong. He's a mid second, if I recall correctly, in uh, Superflex leagues, which isn't that bad. I just feel like he should be getting a lot more hype than he is, and maybe he's just not getting talked about because he's kind of a boring prospect. Like he's not exceptional at anything. He doesn't really, you know, like he doesn't stand out in any real way. That's <laughs> maybe the way to put it. Yeah. But uh, he checks every box that I look for. Like he he hits everything. So the only the only question with him again is is similar similar to Seth Williams is draft capital. But at least Almond Raw looks like he's going to get drafted in the third round. If Seth Williams does, he's still my guy. I'm going to Seth Williams because okay. he he is actually like an alpha, and you know like six three two eleven four five like big and athletic. He's a he's an actual alpha. Almond Raw is more like a big slot receiver. Or maybe even just a normal size slot receiver now, because there's a lot more big slot receivers. For real, no, I, so, I, I uh, like that. Yeah, Seth is my ceiling play. Like if I'm in the third round of a rookie draft and Seth gets third round capital in the NFL draft, I'm taking Seth Williams every single time. I take him, you know, anywhere up to the middle of the second round if that's what his ADP ends up being. 
But uh, we'll wait and see, I guess. I'm hoping it does because the guy, he smashes everything I look for. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what you want to hear. Is there any guy on the the reverse of this that this is like Seth Williams is your guy? Is there anyone that has the high draft capital that you're, that, I mean, you're kind of shaking in your boots at the thought of him just because there's so much potential could to be great, but also to bust? Is there a guy that kind of fits that description? Well, there is. It depends if we're talking NFL draft or uh, dynasty rookie draft. In the NFL draft, the guy that doesn't make any friggin' sense is Kadarius Tony. Like, he does, he, there is no appeal to him from a numbers standpoint. Absolutely none. Even his fourth year breakout is like, I don't even know if he actually broke out. I never actually checked the numbers. It was, it was barely a breakout if he got there. Like, there's just absolutely nothing to get excited about with the Kadarius Tony profile. There's no like context we can apply to it that, that's realistic that is like, oh, well, this is why. This is why yeah. it didn't work out. I, you know what? Actually, I want to change my answer from Seth Williams and Almond Raw. We're going back a step because I just said we're going to apply con- or we can't apply contest to Darius Tony. The guy that I'm probably higher on, and this is maybe a little bit reframing your question. Okay. The guy I'm higher on than I should be is Terrace Marshall. Yeah. I, I, I should not. He grades out as a bust for me, but yeah. he's not. Like, he's not. My, my process is the process is defined, right? Like, there's no context in it. It is what it is. This is what actually happened. There's a very, very easy story to tell where Terrace Marshall is, like, the best wide receiver prospect in this class other than Jamar Chase. Really? It's super easy to get to that conclusion. Number one is, well, in his final year, he opted out due to COVID. He only played, I think, 70% of the games. He was smashing every threshold I have at that point, and then he opted out. And Kayshawn Butte went from 200 receiving yards in the first seven games. And then he had like 500 and some receiving yards in the last three games and ruined Terrace Marshall's market share stats. He had three, Kayshawn Butte had 300 receiving yards in the final game of the season that tanked Terrace Marshall's stock. And it doesn't make any sense because I don't game adjust. And I've never game adjusted. I never will game adjust. And the reason for that is because when we game adjust, yes, we do catch more hits, but we catch a lot more misses than hits. So there's like a a give and take. And in my opinion, we just look at the game adjusted stats and we make a judgment call. In the seven games that Terrace Marshall played, he was a stud. And then if we go back a year and it's Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall, if I recall correctly, Terrace Marshall was like on par with those guys until he got hurt. And then he, I think he missed the game or two. I, I, I'm going off memory. I could be wrong. I think he hurt his foot or something. And then those other two just exploded and Marshall was kind of left in the dust. But up until then, he was right toe-to-toe with the rookie receiving yards leader, the guy who broke the friggin' record. So if you want to make an excuse about somebody playing with teammates where they're crowded out, Terrace Marshall played with the rookie receiving yard leader. We already know that he did this. We already know Justin Jefferson did that. We're not making it up. This isn't like a projection like, oh, well, Henry Ruggs could be great in the NFL, so we should probably bump up everyone else at Alabama. Like, that's not how it works. We already know Justin Jefferson is great in the NFL. And then we know that Jamar Chase outproduced Justin Jefferson when he's a year younger and with a year less experience, and then he's going to go drafted in the top probably five, six picks in the NFL draft after sitting out an entire year. Like, players don't maintain their draft stock when they miss a year unless they're Jamar Chase. So when we look at this context for Terrace Marshall, it's like, holy smokes, like if one thing changes, 
he is a really good prospect. Yeah, absolutely. So he's my guy that I'm just like way out over my skis on compared to my process. I don't know that I'm going to be way out over my skis on him compared to market. Yeah. I think I'm going to have him at my wide receiver three, which is probably a little higher than market, but uh, not like outrageously higher. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. I, I love that. And maybe, I mean, like, again, it seems like these LSU guys are the guys that keep keep popping up. I mean, again, especially when you have Jamar, when you, like you said, when you're competing with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and you're still producing and standing toe-to-toe with these guys, I mean, you might be doing something good if you're doing that. You might be. I'm not going to – you Might know, be. You, you might a chance. Exactly. Just a, a shot in the dark. But, again, we digress. Another guy that I think that getting into going from the draft, as much as I love talking about the draft and especially the prospects, other guys that you've evaluated and we're seeing how they can go this year, I think one of my favorite things that I really wanted to point out in this podcast that you talked about on yours was Tua Tagovailoa. What is your confidence level in him going, taking a leap this year, assuming the Dolphins make a pick on offense at number six in the draft, or even if they don't? I mean, where do you think Tua is compared to how the public views him? I think the public is absolutely wrong about Tua Tungaveloa. And also, is it? I've been saying Tungaveloa because that's what somebody told me it was, but I just heard you say it differently, and now I'm now I'm self-conscious oh, about oh, it. I'm definitely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably been saying it wrong on the podcast for a year now. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know how to say it. Yeah. I've been saying Tungaveloa. I don't know if it's right or not. But uh, I think that the public is absolutely wrong about him. I have like a strict... I don't buy face planners policy mm-hmm. and I'm breaking it for Tua Tungaveloa because he is going to face plan for ADP purposes. And I don't care. I think everyone is wrong and it's because of narratives and it drives me freaking crazy. Like there's multiple narratives that I am annoyed with, with Tua. Number one is Tua doesn't throw deep. Tua is a check down artist. So on and so forth. Absolutely incorrect. Like if you look at his stats for his whole year, he has a deeper average depth of target than Justin Herbert, who everyone is fawning over for his deep ball. I'm like, dude, two or through deeper. Like, come on. It's so infuriating. And then if you compare him to like Ryan Fitzmagic and everyone's like, oh, no, Fitzmagic is such a gunslinger. Like he's he's so dangerous and, and he's high upside because of this. He had the same eight on as doing it. Like, gosh. I love it. No, you're so right. And again, it's it's just that one game that he was yeah. checked down, Charlie. That's it. Just one game. I mean, exactly. anyone can be Alex Smith for one game and be checked down, Charlie. I think that he's a guy that is super underrated. In terms of dynasty, where do you value him in terms of like his dynasty value as a quarterback going forward? Uh, where do I have him ranked? That's a great question. I believe I have him around quarterback. 12 or 13 somewhere thereabouts Uh, i have him ranked just behind the 2021 quarterbacks in baker mayfield okay fair Uh, enough i think that baker mayfield has quite a bit safer ceiling safer floor and ceiling like i feel like baker is now established in my mind as a long-term starter at this point in his career okay uh and then the rookie quarterbacks i just think have so much upside right now like justin or uh justin fields can he can do anything that we would ever dream of on the football field. So I have him a little bit ahead of him. Okay. I actually have him quite a bit ahead of him. I, I, I'm probably way too high on Justin Fields. But then we got, uh, let me just check here, Baker Mayfield, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and then Tua Tungabay Lois. So I, I'm at 15. 
Okay, fair it's, enough. It's quite a bit higher than I think most do. Yeah, absolutely. I know you're more of a, a dynasty guy than a redraft guy, but is Tua a guy that you would want to take a shot this year if they take someone like Kyle Pitts or, or, or Jamar Chase, or even if they didn't? Is Tua a guy that you'd want to you know, take a shot in as your second quarterback in, in fantasy leagues this year? Um, In redraft, I don't think he's quite as appealing because okay. I don't think that like, if they draft Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts, I don't think either of those guys are going to make a huge difference this year. They're both going to be rookies at skill positions, which, like, it's rare to see a Justin Jefferson. Like, to be honest, if Jamar Chase hits 1,000 yards this year, I, I would be pretty shocked. Yep. And if Jamar Chase hits 1,000 yards, I don't think it's really going to boost to a Tonga Veloa into the stratosphere by any stretch. He's going to have to have, like, a 1,500-yard season for it to really make an impact on Tua. And Kyle Pitts, like... There's, there's almost no chance that he's going to have a difference-making tight end season. He's going to – like, I think Kyle Pitts is going to have a really good career. I, I feel like I'm just bashing Kyle Pitts. That's not the case. I, I sincerely think he is the second-best quarterback prospect in the last 20 years. It's just a matter of in his, in his rookie year, I don't see him having a huge season. Like, Evan Ingram had 700 yards, and it was absurd. Yeah, that was good. But, like, if Kyle Pitts is 700 yards, I would be – absolutely thrilled with his prospects going forward. I, I would be in the he's Travis Kelsey second coming at that point. If he has 500 yards, I think it's that's a reasonable goal for Kyle Pitts. And to be fair, that ain't going to make a difference for Tua this year. Yeah, Tua is, Tua is a long-term play okay. in Dynasty. He's not a 2021 play. I think he could be fine. Like I think he'll be a back-end quarterback too pretty easily. He might even be a mid-range quarterback, too, if, if things fall together with Will Fuller. But he's not going to be a quarterback one this year. It's, he's going to be a quarterback one maybe 2022, 2023. Yeah, no, I like that. I think I'd prefer taking a shot on someone like Cam Newton this year. All right, yeah, but Cam Newton, definitely a guy that I would I would want to go after, um, especially as someone like a two-quarterback league. And if I, if I can just say something quick about Cam Newton, I think he is one of the most underrated quarterbacks going into this year, in, in terms of redraft at least. Dynasty, I don't know, but in terms of redraft, I think it's crazy that his top, like, I mean, he has four weapons that just got added into this offense that are better than anything that he had last year. And before COVID, he was averaging like over 20 fantasy points a game. I mean, again, when you add four guys that are better than any weapon you had, and the best guy that you lose is someone named Demir Bird, who, unless you're a Cardinals fan or a Panthers fan, you probably don't know much about Demir Bird. I mean, again, I think the sky's the limit, and I don't think people realize the impact of what this offense can do with Cam Newton as a running quarterback with two tight ends on the bookend in addition to this great line. Again, Cam Newton, I talked about last year, was a guy that finished top five as a fantasy quarterback in every season that he's ever played, like 14 games or more. It's just absurd. Again, another day for Cam Newton. I will be ranting about that another time on this podcast, but I think Cam Newton's a guy that I am absolutely believing in, at least in redraft leagues for this year. But another guy that I'm believing in, this is thanks to you, and I saw this, and this is T. Higgins. What are your thoughts on T. Higgins going into this season and beyond? T. Higgins is a perennial wide receiver one from here on out. There is no doubt in my mind that he is going to be in the conversation for wide receiver one. Maybe not overall. That will depend on Joe Burrow's health. And, you know, he's still got to prove that he can be a wide receiver one overall. He's not there yet. But wide receiver one for fantasy, like top 12, I there that's exactly what he profiled as as a rookie, which is why I was so high on him. And that is exactly what he showed in his rookie year, which is why I continue to be so high on him. Uh, like, honestly, the sky's the limit for T. Higgins. There's there's no data point you can point to that 
that leads me down a path of not believing in T Higgins. And I do a, a thing called sophomore comps. I, I came up with it this year because I missed so badly on uh, what's his name. Oh, Terry McLaurin. So I, w- I was not into Terry McLaurin after his rookie year. And it was, it was, had everything to do with his prospect profile because when, when I'm looking at like projecting sophomores, right? Like the guys after the rookie year, I didn't really have a process to it prior to now. I would just kind of like eyeball it and then look at like, you know, some, some main stats for players that were really bad prospects in this case, because that's what Terry McLaurin was. And when I looked at like yards per route run and then I filtered it by like bad players, it was like, yeah, they all sucked after the rookie year. So Terry McLaurin is probably going to suck. When I looked at like his points per game and then looked at bad prospects that had similar points per game, it was like Kelvin Benjamin and Eddie Royale. And it was like, well, those guys sucked. So I'm selling Terry McLaurin. Yeah. But what I found out later or in, this was in like December, I think this year, maybe even January, I can't recall specifically, but I was like, okay, how do we like pinpoint this? Because I want guys that follow the same journey, right? That's what my whole profile or my whole like prospect profile is around guys that followed the same journey. They did the same things at 18, same things at 19, same things at 20. And then they went into the NFL and then the same thing. Like it was just, you know, they followed the same journey. So like what happens when we get to the first year, is there some journey that we can follow that will tell us who's good? So I came up with this sophomore comps thing and I found like, I just ran some like simple correlation formulas on, on some of the stats that I figured probably mattered. And it was things like points per game, which obviously like that makes sense. If they score a lot of fantasy points as a rookie, it's probably going to continue. And then I looked at uh, my ADP trends, which is where I look at, you know, kind of channeling the wisdom of the crowd. So it's in dynasty football or dynasty league football's ADP. I chart every player's, rookie year ADP versus after the rookie year and see who, who, who lost value and who gained value. So I use that as a filter. And then I use um, rookie year PFF receiving grade, which has proven to be extremely helpful. I didn't expect it to be as helpful as it is. Cause when you look at PFF grades, it's not quite as obvious as maybe you'd think it'd be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it, it does have really strong correlation. So once I started filtering for all these things, it gets pretty exciting. When I do that for T. Higgins, this is his complex. These are the guys that followed the same journey. A.J. Green, Keenan Allen, Dwayne Bowe, Jarvis Landry, Hakeem Nix, Cooper Cup, Juju Smith-Schuster, and A.J. Brown. Every single player on that list has hit a top 12 season in their career. Every one of them. There are no misses on the T. Higgins sophomore comps. So this is kind of like the Jamar Chase thing where it's like, well – He's locked in because everyone who's done what he has done has been like, has an elite ceiling at, at this point to T Higgins career. Last, it's a rookie. It wasn't this good. It was really good, but not this good. And now it's like, well, you know what? Every single player on his list had a top 12 season. So there's a pretty good chance that T Higgins might as well. Yeah. I love that. One, one question. Well, I mean, Jamar chase, Jamar chase. And you said that, I mean, you'd be shocked if he got a, a thousand yard season in year one, at least just this year in fantasy football would it concern you for t higgins at least in something like redraft if they draft like a jamar chase or a kyle pitts does that concern you at all for his value not in redraft no not at all in redraft i like those guys will be you know aj green Mm -hmm. the corpse of aj green last year if if they're like kyle pitts is not going to be a difference maker at the at the level where he's going to like diminish t higgins as a rookie 
Uh, it's just not going to happen because it's never happened. Like, it has honestly never happened where the rookie tight end has like a thousand yards. And even if a rookie tight end has a thousand yards or Jamar Chase is a thousand yards, there's still plenty left over for T Higgins. If that's the case, when I'm doing projections on redraft, cause I do do projections on redraft cause you need to know who's going to score fantasy points this year to win a dynasty as well. So when I'm doing things like that, I'm looking at T Higgins and say Jamar Chase, pretend they draft Jamar Chase. So, this year, I'm like, okay, well, the average like Jamar Chase type prospect might see like a 20% target share in year one. Well, the alpha wide receiver in the in the team usually sees a 25% when they're a player like T. Higgins. So 25% target share on a T. Higgins workload or a Joe Burrow pass volume offense is plenty enough volume to get T. Higgins into the stratosphere of wide receiver ones. Over their career, though, I think that's going to shift and we're going to see Jamar Chase become the wide receiver one in his, you know, in 2022 in Jamar Chase's second year, that's going to bump T. Higgins down a little bit. But T. Higgins is still a good player, and good players still own their volume. And we see wide receiver duos almost every single year hit wide receiver once. Every year we see it. And it isn't always, like, the premier incredible offense. Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen hit wide receiver one in Minnesota. Yeah. Like, with Kirk Cousins. And low passing that's volume. Not, yeah. Like, that's not a, a, a crazy offense. If we're talking about, like, the Steelers with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster, they set passing volume records that year. So it was a lot easier for both of those guys to hit wide receiver one. And, in fact, I believe Antonio Brown finished wide receiver one overall that year. I think that was in 2018. Yep, it I was. Be wrong. It was. So, like, when we're looking at, at the Bengal, like, Zach Taylor, since he's went to the Bengals, their intention, no matter if they're winning or losing, is to pass a shit ton. So, or I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, to pass yeah. a lot. Yeah. So I'm pretty confident that they're going to keep passing a lot, even if they're winning, because they're like when you how do I word this? When you control for game script and you look at like first and second down and only close games, the Bengals pass like in the top five rate in the NFL over the past three years or uh, two years. Whenever since Taylor's been there, I think it's two or three years now. So. Their pass volume has been really high, but it's not because they've been losing. It's because they want to pass a lot anyways. It helps that they've been winning or that they've been losing. But even if they weren't losing, they're still going to be a top passing offense. So this offense can produce, can produce two wide receiver ones. It will be Jamar Chase probably getting like a 28% target share. That's what I'm expecting from him based on his prospect profile over the course of his career, not in year one. And then with Kyle Pitts, it's like, well, even – you know, the best tight ends like Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, they're only at like 25%. So if that's the case, there's no reason that T Higgins can't be the wide receiver one overall. If, if everything goes well, yeah, it's no, just a matter of who gets the touchdowns. I, I agree. And I think the thing that people don't even talk about, and, and I, I don't have the official numbers is from my own count. And this is at minimum. I counted through the Bengals targets last year. And vacated targets is one of my favorite numbers because it shows how much more people can gain. Because I was trying to make an argument about Tyler Boyd as being valued as like the wide receiver 32 in redraft when he's never gone, finished below 23 over the last three years. Again, that's that's a topic for another day. But there was 194 targets that left that offense. I mean, over 100 from A.J. Green. I mean, are you kidding me? 60 from Gio Bernard. There was like 20 from Alex Harrison and more. But, I mean, that's 194 targets. So even if Jamar Chase comes, he's not getting 194 targets. And T. Higgins was like a wide receiver too in his rookie year when he's only going to get better. And Jamar Chase isn't going to see those same numbers. And, again, 194 vacated targets that he can possibly get. And, Drew, 
if Jamar Chase doesn't go, you add Penny Sewell to give Joe Burrow more time with 194 vacated targets. I mean, that, that wide receiver one season does not sound so so crazy. So I I absolutely love that. Another guy that I think has the maybe the potential, I'll let, I'll let you tell me because you would know better than I would, for that wide receiver one type of season. Maybe not overall, but a guy that I think could be a perennial wide receiver one. That's Brandon Ayuk. I mean, do you believe in this year two leap for him? even with a healthy Debo Samuel back and George Kittle in this offense. And do you think that the QB that they draft could impact the, your stock um, in Brandon Ayuk? Yeah, like Brandon Ayuk, there, there's, again, like a ton of narratives, right? Like, well, George Kittle missed so much time and Debo Samuel missed so much time. And that's the only reason that Brandon Ayuk got a 23% target share. And it's like, okay, fair. He was a rookie and his teammates lost, like missed games. And he, he definitely benefited from it. Don't get me wrong. But he was a rookie that put up a 23% target share. Do you know how rare that is? There are so many rookies that do not hit a 23% target share with nobody on their team. I'm looking at you, Denzel Mims. Like, there's a bunch of guys that don't do this that everyone seems to fall in love with anyways. It, it's, it's just mind-blowing to me. It's like, I get that he may not have had quite the same season if – George Kittle and Debo Samuel were there. But if you look at what they did with Debo Samuel, he had two completed air yards on the year. Not two air yards per attempt. Two completed air yards cumulatively on the year. He was a glorified running back. So get out of here with Brandon Knight. You can't be wide receiver one because Debo Samuel's on the team. Debo Samuel was nothing. Yeah, like he's exactly. quite frankly nothing. They, they probably threw to Debo Samuel because – Jimmy Garoppolo isn't good enough to throw to Brandon Ayuk on the outside. Like, Brandon Ayuk has exactly the route tree that you're looking for at the wide receiver position. We're talking about wide receiver ones. That's what Brandon Ayuk did. What Brandon Ayuk did as a rookie, regardless of who was on his team, is incredible. Absolutely incredible. One of the most telling things that I taught or that I look at is PFF grade for rookies. And Brandon Ayuk's PFF grade was like an absurd 80.6, I think. That's and right. basically every every single wide receiver I'm I'm not I'm not taking anyone out of the equation here every single wide receiver that hits a 78 or more PFF grade hits every single one of them I don't care what their process profile is I don't care if they are undrafted it does not matter That's I don't care what their points per game were in the rookie year every one of them hits it's absolutely silly what I'm looking at there I just pulled one up here this is looking at bust profile wide receivers. These are the worst of the worst profiles and or day three picks. Yeah. And these are guys with uh, 78 to Ayuk's. Oh, maybe this was actually a Tyreek Hill one. So 80.85.6 uh, is the top end of this. Okay. And it's Antonio Brown, Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, Marcus Colston, Doug Baldwin, Steve Smith from the New York Giants, and Andrew, Andrew Hawkins. Hawkins is the only one that missed. This is everyone on the list. This isn't some of the guys. This is all of the guys, and these are the worst possible profiles that we could look at. It's absurd. That's, that's ridiculous. At, yeah, it's it's completely crazy. When we look at Brandon Ayuk's, uh, like sophomore comps, they are absolutely absurd. It is a who's who of exactly who you want in fantasy football. Uh, let me just pull them up real quick here. We are talking about Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Juju Smith-Schuster, and A.J. Brown. That's his whole list. 
if you don't want those guys, then you're doing fantasy football wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not to mention that even with someone like Andrew Hawkins, I mean, look where he played. I mean, yes, he played in Cincinnati, but he was stuck behind A.J. Green, and then he spent his last three years in Cleveland. And I'm sorry, but in the pre-Baker Mayfield days, if you're, if you're believing in <laughs> Brian Hoyer – I mean, Josh Gordon did it. Don't get me wrong. But Andrew Hawkins is not the same specimen that Josh Gordon does. So I, I love that. And I, I fully believe in Brandon Ayuk. And I think he's so underrated because there's there's legitimately people out there that aren't looking at these things and that are like, I don't know, like I'm I'm having a tough time between Debo and and Brandon Ayuk. I mean, Debo, Debo did catch a lot of screen passes. I mean, okay. I mean, he had a two yards per target. Do you think though that if they draft someone like whether it's Justin Fields or or Mac Jones or someone like that, that that'll does that change your value for Brandon IU considering how good Jimmy Garoppolo is? Oh, well, Jimmy Garoppolo is terrible. Yeah. So it doesn't <laughs> and, take it much uh, worse. It doesn't really change my value for okay. Brandon Ayuk because I was building this into his long-range projections anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I did not feel like the 40 – because I, I've had Brandon Ayuk posted up at, like, wide receiver 12, 13, 14 in my dynasty rankings pretty much since I started doing sophomore comps. And that was well before they had traded for the number three overall pick. I have not moved him up because I was already anticipating that the 49ers would be upgrading at some point. I didn't know it was going to be this year, but figured at some point in his career, probably by 2022, I figured at latest they'd be shopping for a new quarterback. I don't think Brandon Ayuk is going to go out and absolutely smash in 2021 because rookie quarterbacks aren't very good traditionally. <laughs> this year was special. Like rookie quarterbacks are usually to a tongue of a little. Yep. Not Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. Absolutely. This year was weird. No, I, I like that. I think that's, I mean, right on. Um, another guy, real quick, before um, we move on um, to our last couple questions, is, is Noah Fant. Um, I know we mentioned him earlier in the podcast, and you said that he fit that Kyle Pitts and Kellen Winslow kind of threshold. Are you in or out on Noah Fant going into 2021? I'm so all the way in. All like one hundred percent, all the way in. Okay. There is, I like I, when I do my rankings on Patreon, I have mm-hmm. like a current thoughts where I like put in a little blurb mm-hmm. on everyone. I don't do like a new one every month for every player, but if I move someone around or something, and I and there or there's something new that like changes their outlook, I'll put in a blurb. Basically, my comment on Noah Fant is in all caps, and it says zero non-elite data points, and that has been the case for Noah Fant since he has. Like, since he became a prospect and was on my radar, there has been nothing that I can look at to Noah Fant that doesn't project him as one of the best tight ends of all time. Like, quite honestly, there has not been. Let me let, – give me, like, yeah. one second. No, can you go pause the podcast? Go, no, I, I'll talk about Noah Fant. I mean, I, I like Noah Fant. I mean, I think that he's a guy that is so underrated, not only just for his elite athleticism traits and everything that you talked about that's elite – but Noah Fant's a guy that was playing well last year when he wasn't hurt. I mean, dude was basically playing on like a sprain, like a high sprain ankle and still kind of putting up numbers. And you saw his run over the end of the season. When he was starting to get healthier, he's starting to produce. And then you can then you can start talking about, okay, well, I mean, Cortland Sutton's coming back. That'll open up the field for Noah Fant. Drew Locke, I don't care what anyone says, is going to be better next year because he's going into his third year. And if not, they're going to get someone that's going to be playing better than him. And again, the third year seems to be that year for tight ends where, okay, year one, if you put up 700 yards, you're doing well, like you said. And year two is when you can take that a little bit of a leap. But year three is like that that breakout year. And I think that Fant is absolutely someone that can break out. And I think that the only thing that I have a tough time with is I don't like to invest in bad offenses. But oddly enough, this Broncos offense might not be so bad in this year. I mean, what do you what do you think about them, or how does, does that affect where you feel on Noah Fant at all? Yeah, so 
like, if we're talking redraft and you're like, I don't want to buy Noah Fant because I don't think he's going to be elite, I, I could get on board with that take. Like, I, I don't know that he's going to be elite this year, but his profile suggests he's going to be elite at some point. Mm-hmm. And all it's going to take is an offense that is going to feed him the ball. And quite frankly, like, I just pulled up Noah Fant's. Uh, I did a video, like, my very first podcast episode covered Noah Fant because okay. he's, yeah. like, the guy that I go to for – you know, like that I identify with, I guess is maybe the way to put it. <laughs> so I just pulled this up and I just want to just touch on it. So we did, we already talked about how his prospect profile is like literally the best thing we've ever seen other than Kellen Winslow. And now we have Kyle Pitts, who's also in that same range. <laughs> no fan is a rookie. He, so he's a top three profile all time mm-hmm. or since 2000. And then he went out as a rookie and put up 562 receiving yards. That puts him at fifth most receiving yards since 2004. Wow. So at this point, we now have elite prospect, elite rookie season, and then he goes out in his sophomore year and he puts up a tight end eight season, which is better than what we see from most elite tight ends, including Travis Kelsey. He did not do that in his second year. And including like George Kittle was better in his second year. I'll give you that. But like, honestly, Kittle. it's like Dallas Clark and Jason Witten and Tony Gonzalez and I forget all the other guys. Like, all the all the all-time greats usually have, like, a back-end tight end one season in their second year. And that's what Noah Fant did. And, and he did it missing his quarterback for one game. Like, they didn't even have a quarterback. They threw one pass – or they completed one pass the entire game. Yeah. That goes into his tight end eight finish. <laughs> so, like, get yeah. out of here. Yeah. And he played injured like most of the year. I think he got hurt in like week four or five. As a, and as a rookie, when he put up that 562 receiving yards and in the fifth most receiving yards as a rookie since 2000 or to, since 2004, he had Joe Flacco as his quarterback, Brandon Allen and his quarterback, who I didn't even know who that was at the time. I had to go look him up. And he had Drew Locke in his rookie year. Like he had the worst situation you can imagine. And he put up an all time great tight end rookie season. Noah Fan has no elite, no non-elite data points. 100% elite. So I'm really into Noah Fan. And then when we look at Jerry Judy, and that's the, the complaint a lot of people have with Noah Fan is like, well, actually, Jerry Judy's Jerry there. Judy, yeah. <laughs> and I just had a huge rant today with the patrons because one of them was asking, well, how did like because I, I like I don't have Jerry Judy very high in my rankings. I will be completely honest. I think he's in like the 40s at wide receiver. And it's because he's not gonna matter. But it's also because I don't know what to make of him. Like when I when I put in his so the let me back up. Go, go when I'm it. looking at this kind of stuff, I normally take points per game into consideration, right? Mm-hmm. That's like my production thing. And people are like, oh, he didn't produce as much as he could have because Drew Locke was bad. I'm like, okay, let's take that out. Let's just not even look at points per game. Let's assume it doesn't matter. And then we'll just look at his grade, which was coin flip, his prospect grade. We'll look at his profile type so he's a beta he's small he's skinny and and then we'll look at his receiving grade from pff and when i do that we do get a couple of hits we get like ty hilton golden tate and kendall wright and then here are the guys that have not hit yet or may not ever hit jalen rieger sterling shepherd tavon austin ted ginn jr Corey coleman will fuller marky lee andy isabella and titus young those are the guys that did what Jerry Judy did on a per play basis, according to PFF with similar draft capital. Similar. I mean, these guys are, some of these guys are first rounds, first or second round picks. And then uh, like with the beta profile, like the wide receiver two profile. 
So yeah. it's like you really think that Noah Fant is going to get held back by these guys when he's the best thing we've ever seen, basically. Like it's it's just nonsensical to me to put to fade Noah Fant on account of Jerry Judy. Yeah. But I mean, but but haven't you seen those like three route highlights that Jerry Judy runs? I mean, I mean that that to me would would make me take him way over over Noah Fant. I mean, it's just crazy to me. But I love what you said about Noah Fant, and I mean, you you convinced me. I mean, man, I, I know you're an accountant, but you might as well be a car salesman selling Noah Fant to to patrons. I think you could you'd usually sell him nine times out of ten. But so you know what's funny? Let me let me stop you for a second. Yeah, go for it. Before I was an accountant, I had a different career. Like I, I got into accounting no. late in my life. I was like a 29 year old first time accountant. Yeah, I was a salesman before that. Were you actually? Yeah. <laughs> you have not a car have, salesman, have, but I worked in sales. You have the pitch. You could be like an auction. I mean, you, I mean, you could convince me to sell anything at this point. If you <laughs> if you put in different parameters that something falls in, and if this sponge takes up this amount of water, and it's been created out by this by Amazon, and and it's been bought in this time, and this is where the first age of the product started to get more. I mean, that would, I mean, you'd sell me. I'd, I'd buy that sponge in a second. No, I, I love that. Um, I started selling stuff in college. Uh, I, I sold Cutco knives, if you've ever heard of that. Yeah. I yeah. did it for years. Wow. And then I went into like electronic sales. And then I went into, like, after I finished college, I went into, uh, business, the business sales. I did that for a couple of years. And then I was like, I don't like this. I'm going to go back to school and be an accountant. And here I am. (laughs) Here you are. I'm accountant by day fighting fantasy crime by night. I love that. Exactly. That's that's amazing. Do you have a Super Bowl prediction for this year? Oh, I think that, uh, the team that I think is going to make the Super Bowl that maybe is a hot take is the Cleveland Browns. I I really think they are. I love it. I love it. They're like, I I was just talking about this on my last episode on the podcast, actually. The so I, I earlier we were talking about how the Cincinnati Bengals want to pass the ball, right? Yeah. Well, the Cleveland Browns came out last year not wanting to pass the ball. They would not give Baker Mayfield the opportunity to pass the ball. They were like the fourth lowest team in intended pass rate. Mm-hmm. And then after their monsoon games and their bye, like they had their bye like week nine or something, and they had like three consecutive monsoon games where ain't nobody passing in those games. And then after that, through the playoffs, they were top five in intended pass rate. That's crazy. And that's when they got Nick Chubb back. They still had Kareem Hunt. And the only guy they had to pass to was Jarvis Landry. Like the other players on that team in the pass catching department suck, except for David Njoku, who they refused to pass them. But that's a totally different scenario. So now we're getting Odell Beckham Jr. back. We have Jarvis Landry back. And we have... Baker Mayfield playing the best football of his career easily. Like he, his pass, uh, PFF passing grade from week, I think it was week six onward, uh, was like top three in the NFL. It's crazy. And then they started letting him pass towards the end of the year. And now Odell's coming back and they're like, the defense is solid. I really think they have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And I really I don't know if that's as hot take as you were hoping with the Super Bowl prediction, no, but that, that's my pick. If I had to pick a team right now that maybe not everybody's talking about, it's going to be the, the Cleveland Browns. I love it. And I think the thing that – I mean, you just made a great case for the offense. I mean, this is a defense that was pretty dang good last year and was missing – I mean, people don't realize that, like, Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward missed, like, damn near half the season. And on yeah. top of that – this team just added John Johnson and Jadavion Clowney to that defense. In addition to having your top two cornerbacks that were both highly drafted picks that have played well when they're in the game. I mean, I, I actually 
I, I said this today in a text to one of my friends. I think they're the most underrated team in football, and people do not realize what a monster they're going to be this year, especially if Kevin Stefanski, who has had nothing but success the last couple of years. I mean, I, I think that they are the most underrated team in football. Do you have a team that's coming out of the NFC for the Super Bowl? Oh, NFC. I didn't think about that one. Let me let me rock the brain here real hey, quick. Hey, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, I'm telling you, TV12, wow. number eight. I mean, that's a pretty easy pick, <laughs> isn't it? Like they're coming off a Super Bowl yeah. championship. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, honestly, I, I really like the LA Rams. I think that adding uh, Matt Stafford to that team mm-hmm. is going to do wonders for them. Uh, hopefully, like this Aaron Donald incident doesn't get him in much hot water. I, I, I imagine he'll probably maybe get suspended a game or two. It won't be anything crazy. So I, I think that they're going to be a really, really strong team. I think that Jared Goff was clearly holding that team back. Yeah. He was really like they were playing like they had Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, <laughs> which is really bad. And That's now they have good. Matt Stafford, who – like the Lions absolutely unleashed Matt Stafford in the past, I don't know, three or four years. His his like average depth of target is so deep. And like that's what that offense is needing. And then I got my guy Cam Akers in the backfield just scooping up touchdowns because somebody's got to score touchdowns in the end zone. And it's just like I like this offense is going through the roof. I think they're gonna be top five offense. And I think that uh, the defense is still really good. They like they have their building blocks, right? Like they have like their Aaron Donald who can rush the passer like who can do everything basically mm-hmm. but also get pressure on the passer up the middle which is a, 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 i don't even know defensive football so get, don't if i'm saying something incorrect forgive no, me good. but my understanding is that defensive pressure up the middle is what causes quarterbacks the most issue because you can't just slide off from one side to the other you have to react to it and you don't know which way to go so like he's just such a threat no. And then they have Jalen Ramsey at cornerback, which is, you know, as good as it gets. So I, I really think the LA Rams, and I, I'm going to go with it. Rams and Brown Super Bowl. And I'm here for it. Who wins? It's tough. Hey, the prop bet, the prop bet's going to be really nice when it hits. I, come, I, come I'm going to go for the LA Rams because they've been there before. Okay. I like that. I think the experience definitely matters. And I mean, when you have a, you put a monster like Aaron Donald in the Super Bowl with someone like Matt Stafford and those receivers and Hey, Hey, Cam Akers, man, if he's facing less stacked boxes, mad magic is going to happen this year. So I, I love that. I, I like the Rams this year as a pick. All right, Drew, the final question I have for you today, my favorite question, again, I'm going to say this a million times this year. I ask every guest in the podcast, what is your boldest prediction for this season? The guy that you are planning the flag, you are going to the moon, or you're fighting crime at night. Who is your joker that you are facing that is going to be the guy that is going to lead you to the fantasy mountaintop? This is an easy one. This is clearly Cam Akers. If I'm planning a flag, it's it. on Cam Akers. Yeah. This guy had like the most bizarre rookie season, maybe outside of Tua Tonga and it's all arrows up. Like he faced 7.3 defenders in the box, which is number five in the NFL as a rookie, and he was really good, which is incredible. There's like. No chance that Daryl Henderson is going to do anything this year because Daryl Henderson is a – I don't even know the right way to say this. He's not good at football. Or he's not hes not good at football in comparison to Cam Akers. It's maybe the best way to put it. Yeah. Daryl Henderson's fine, but he is nothing compared to Cam Akers. When we look at Cam Akers, like, like I just said, 7.3 defenders in the box, that's coming down. They, they now have to respect deep passes from Matt Stafford. This isn't – Jimmy GQ or Jared Goff throwing dump-offs to Cooper Cup at the five-yard line or five yards down the field. 
Now we're talking about guys throwing the ball 10 yards down the field on repeat. So those defenders are going to have to back up, give Cam Akers room to eat. That offense is going to be in the red zone on repeat. And the guy that's going to be scoring the touchdowns is Cam Akers because that's what they have always done. Todd Gurley was not a great running back from like an efficiency standpoint when he was the running back one overall for many years. Mm -hmm. Cam Akers is more efficient like from a yards created or juke rate perspective, like creating on his own than Todd Gurley has ever been. So if they're going to give Cam Akers this huge workload like they showed they are, and then – He's going to be more efficient than Todd Gurley, and they're going to give him the goal line touches because that's what they did to Todd Gurley. So why wouldn't they give Cam Akers that when he's better than Todd Gurley? That's probably a really hot take, actually. Yeah, but I uh, I, I, I don't disagree. I really I really don't disagree. And the other thing that I think goes unnoticed is the fact that, like, I mean, for yards per attempt, Jared Goff is a seven point six compared to Matt Stafford is a nine point two. I mean, that alone opens up the field, and also the fact that. Matt Stafford has passed for over 4,000 yards in eight out of the last nine seasons, and Goff's only done it in two out of four. They're going to score more points. And again, like we talked about already, that defense is awesome. And what happens when a defense is awesome? Oh, talk. what did what did Derrick Henry say? Yeah, you get a lot of carries late in games. So, I mean, everything in, in their mother is, is doing it. And the other thing, probably the biggest thing for Cam Akers, if you saw his tweet the other day, he says he needs a girlfriend, man. If he needs a girlfriend, he's going to go out and have to produce some fantasy numbers. I mean, again, if there's girls that play fantasy out there and he's the RB1, hey, those are options. All the fans that he's impressing. I mean, again, I mean everything and, and more is in his bag to be able to do it this year. I absolutely love Cam Akers. And, man, I mean, again, if he needs a girlfriend, I'm not a girl. But maybe, I mean, hey, there's someone out there I know that could probably set up with Cam Akers. But, again, Cam Akers, <laughs> RB1 next year, I 100% agree. I think he is a top five running back. Um but that, Drew, is it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Is there anything you're working on or anything you want to plug for the listeners today? Sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I am I have like a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash uh, Bulletproof FF. Where that's where I like to do all my rankings, rookie, dynasty, Devi. I do Devi rankings as well. It's all on there. And then uh, actually what I've been really spending like basically every single night and every weekend on the last like month is a rookie guide. I'm kind of with the rookie guide this year. This is the first one I'm ever going to do. I don't know exactly how pretty it's going to be, but the content's going to be fire. So hopefully you're uh, buying it for the, for the content, not the, not the pretty factor. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I think the only thing that's tough is, I mean, I think people, people buy you for the looks. I mean, the content's great, but I think it's about the look. So hopefully without <laughs> the pretty factor with the rookie guy that people will still be willing to buy. But again, Again, I think it's all about the content, and I I absolutely love what you're doing. And and man, I mean, if you keep if you keep doing the way your stuff's blowing up, I mean, you're the the moon is the limit. I mean, the moon is probably the just like Jamar Chase. You're I mean, you have an elite ceiling, so you're gonna have at least more than one top five season. I I love it. So <laughs> thank you so much again for coming on. It was a blast to have you. And to anyone that is still listening to the podcast at this point, thank you so much for listening. Um, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.